will sign up. You can uh, use that to sign up for some of our events that you'll find out in a minute using the video. Uh, as the ushers come forward, please join me as we pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the tithes and offerings um, that we are about to give, Father. We just praise you, Lord, and uh, thank you that we're able to be here and worship you. Uh, please bless each and every one of us as, uh, as we give to you to further work of your kingdom. In your name, amen. Please check out this cool video. Welcome to Church at Briargate. We are excited that you're spending your Sunday morning with us. If this is your first time, please fill out a connect card found in the back of the seats and drop it in the offering plate or put it in the basket outside of the church office. Here are some events coming up. We are in need of awesome people who would make a once a month commitment to teach our preschoolers. All curriculum and supplies are provided. We need teachers for the first, third, and fifth Sundays of the month at 11 a.m. Contact office at cabag.org if you are interested. Keep Showing Up is an online marriage-themed Bible study for women offered through Proverbs 31 Ministries. Donna Wildenstein is forming a discussion group for women who would like to take the study with her. Email women at cabag.org for more information. We need candy for our annual Easter egg hunt. There is a bin in the foyer where you can donate individually wrapped candy. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. If you have any questions about Church at Briargate, please email office at cabag.org. Also, check out our website, churchatbriargate.org, for more information. And stay connected with us on social media. Have a great week. hosting the Renewed Conference Saturday, May 4th in Colorado Springs at Church of Briargate. We're going to get healthy body, mind, and spirit. We're going to be joined by a couple of incredible guests, Dr. Sonia O'Brien, a hormone specialist um, who has successfully treated thousands of patients. We're also going to be blessed to be hearing from cancer overcomer and health coach Andrea Thompson. Her story will inspire you to greatness. And the Tribe of Five will be there. There'll be vendors and giveaways. General admission is $40, which includes breakfast and lunch. Or you can get a special VIP ticket for $100, which includes breakfast, lunch, special seating, and a private session with Dr. Sonia and Andrea, and an up-close question and answer time. Gather your girls, your tribe, and register today. Seating is limited. This event will sell out, so don't wait. Register today at Tribe of Five. That's tribe of the number five.net. Can't wait to see you there. Hi, I'm Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, and I want to let you know about a major campaign we're launching to defend and promote the sanctity of life. You can play an important role in this effort, and I'm hoping you and your family will join us. You've seen the headlines about the disturbing push to expand abortion rights in various states. Without question, our country is at a crossroads when it comes to the issue of late-term abortion. And that's why on May 4th, Focus on the Family is taking a stand at the crossroads of culture and media, Times Square. The event is called Alive from New York, and it will culminate with the broadcast of live 4D ultrasounds of third trimester babies on the large jumbotron screens right there in Times Square. And this will be a historic opportunity to demonstrate the humanity of babies right in the womb. And this live-streamed event will also have inspiring speakers and live music. So please, tell your friends about it and prayerfully consider joining us at Alive from New York. All the details are right there at focusonthefamily.com slash pro-life. At the website, you'll also be invited to join with thousands of other Americans in signing the Declaration for Life. 
It's a strong pro-life statement that will deliver to the White House and Congress. And thanks again for joining us and spreading the word. And I hope to see you May 4th in Times Square. God bless you and God bless this event. Well, good morning. So we, we definitely do support um, this, this. It's not just focused on the family. There's a lot of groups right now that are really pushing. Uh, you can go online. You can sign up for do some things. But uh, this, is, this really is a, a critical thing. We're at a very, very critical place in our country. And so think about this. Maybe go to the Focus on the Family website. Look at uh, some of the things you're doing. Maybe even be able to get to New York. That would be amazing uh, to, to see that and, and to just just to take a stand and to push back on some of this. I have been very pleased. I think you've probably been paying attention to this, but the place that I've seen it the most and I've got the most information from is a Facebook place, a Facebook site that is, um, it's uh, Tim Tebow's site, and it has to do with um, um, the, the anti-abortion uh, push that he, he makes with his Facebook. I can't think of the name of it right now, but but they, he's been documenting all of these governors across the United States that are coming out and, and, and putting uh, laws up that are pushing back against this abortion agenda in a lot of different states. I think it's like 15 or 16 states now have made laws that if once a baby, once, once they uh, register the baby's heartbeat, you can no longer have an abortion after that. And uh, that's huge. These are, these are good things. These are good pushes. And, uh, and so while, obviously, you're not going to hear about that in mainstream media, CNN will never, ever document that. Um, there's some very good, strong pushback that's happening, and people are saying, this is just not okay. And guys, and I, I know I've been talking a lot about that over the last couple months. This morning's message is going to be kind of the end cap of all of this. But to really say, this is, these are babies' lives. These are, these are not fetuses, as, as people like to call them. These are babies. These are little humans. And, uh, and they need somebody to fight for them. Um, they, they need somebody to fight for their right to live. And it's not a right of somebody else to take that away. And so it's, um, this is a big thing. So be thinking about some of this, processing it. I did want to mention to you our two pastors in India, Jasia, is about to get married <clears throat> here in about a month. He's getting married. We, I told him we'd be praying for him about it. And uh, he, you can tell there's a little bit of a please, you know, deer in the headlights. This is an arranged marriage. I, I mentioned, what, a month ago is the first time he met his wife. Uh, this, is, this is the way it is in India. And, uh, but but he, he's nervous, excited. Um, I'm nervous, excited for him. It's, uh, it's just a crazy thing. So be praying for him. Then he's going to be moving his wife to Ramperhut. And uh, Santosh is also going to be moving his wife, Ruby, to Ramperhut and his little son, Devaj. So they're going to be... They're going to be um, all together now in the home <clears throat> that, that uh, we built for them. And so it's, it's just neat. It's going to be exciting. We're, going to, we're looking at taking a trip over there around November. And uh, some of you have been asking about this. And so I'll, I'll put this out here. I don't know exactly what this looks like. But, but we, we do eventually want to take some people from the church. I don't know if that will be November, but maybe. We're looking at what it looks like. It's not, it's not as easy as you think. It's not like we can just check into the hotel. Um, that's not really a possibility, although we did find there is a hotel in that place. You don't want to stay in it. So, <clears throat> um, but, but be praying for the guys, be thinking about it. Also, this last week, we had the memorial for John Hajak. Uh, th- thanks to everybody that w- contributed and was here and d- did stuff. A lot of you have been doing some things for that. Something I want to mention, the motorhome and the trailer that are out there are John's. 
And uh, there was a lot of the missionaries that he worked with, with maps and things that were here Thursday, uh, the service. But um, part of what we want to be doing over the next month, and we'll give you some dates as we get a little bit closer to this, but John had a lot of tools, lots and lots of tools. The trailer is full of tools. They're stacked in shelves, all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's what he did. That's what his mission, missionary stuff was, was to go build things for churches and stuff. And so we're going to be uh, liquidating all of that as uh, here in about a month. We've got a silent auction that's coming up, some other things. If you're interested in any of that and uh, you want to take a look at some things or whatever, just let us know. We want to give you access to that. And somebody brought up, and I thought this was a pretty good idea too, uh, if, if you just came and bought the whole thing, whole kit and caboodle, you could start a, a contractor's business just with that. I mean, that's he's got everything. And so if you're interested in any of that, we'll let you know as we come up. We want to make sure that we can sell this as much as possible to give um, Diana the, the finances to do some things that she, she wants to do, needs to do. And so we want to, be, we want to be generous as a body and then also help people around the community get some tools and some stuff like that too. So I, I also wanted to mention that we are having a children's pastor candidate coming here in, in a couple weeks to, it's the weekend of uh, the 14th, I think it is, to interview, to see what we're about. We're going to see more about what she's about. Um, Mary and Anthony have given us their last day. I think I've mentioned this, uh, the 28th of April is their last day. Uh, it's the immediately after uh, Easter, and uh, and so we. In fact, we were talking in the staff the other day. We we think at the Easter egg hunt, we think we're gonna have like a big scene and and uh, have Mary walk off and get mad and all that kind of stuff. You know, so I, I don't know. Just a big shebang, just a big going out. You know, because Mary's like that. That's who she is. Uh, but it, it's uh, so we do have a candidate coming in. If uh, please be here, you can meet her, talk to her. She's a single. Lady, she is graduating from uh, university about two weeks after she comes here, and uh, so we're we're looking at, at doing the interview and all that kind of stuff um, before she graduates. If you have any questions, I can I can tell you whatever. Not right now, but uh, I can let you know. Just come talk to me about all that kind of stuff. We also had our annual business meeting Wednesday night, and uh, we have elected a new board member. Um, we had so we have term limits here, so we have two. You, you can serve no more than two consecutive three-year terms. And uh, Paul Reek was term-limited out. You have to sit off at least a year, according to our bylaws. And I want to mention this. I talked about this Wednesday night, but our, our board, we just have a really good board. We really work together uh, well. We try to accomplish it. Don't, don't confuse we work together well with we agree on everything. That's not the same thing. Um, but we really try to work together well. We try to get to, to the place where God wants us to be, to listen to the, to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Paul has been just, an, um, uh, just a very strong asset uh, on the board the last six years. And just, just been, a, I mean, a good, a good board member, a good friend to us all. Um, and so we're, we're going to miss him going out. In fact, Paul's here, right? Paul, why don't you stand? And um, we'll just look at you for a second. Everybody look at him like... Um, it, it really is. I mean, it's, and I've seen him grow. I've seen him do some amazing things over the last six years. And that's, that's part of what this is about. We always want to be pushing forward, that kind of thing. Um, so we will greatly miss Paul. We, we have elected uh, another board member. It is uh, Sergio Flores. Sergio, why don't you stand up now? We'll all stare at you. <laughs> and uh, this is the look we give to the in incoming board members. Right? You have no idea. You have no idea. 
Um, but we're, we're, we're excited about this. I talked about this Wednesday. I really believe in the electoral process that, that we have. I don't appoint board members. Um, I, I hire staff, that kind of thing, but we vote. Our, our body votes, and I love that. I think that's a biblical model that we see right in the book of Acts. And um, so I, I always get excited about this. We've got a, a, a new guy, girl, coming. We've got two, two women. How many do we have? <laughs> two women, three guys. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because we meet all the time. You'd think I'd know this. But um, it's, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good mix. Where I'm always excited about what the news person brings and the voice and the, and the whatever. It's just, a, it's just an exciting time. So... So in, in this, uh, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about Easter, uh, coming up to Easter. I'm going to show you some things that are kind of um, maybe unique in Scripture that, that sometimes we miss, some cultural things, some interesting things, and some of the stuff specifically about Easter that speaks to me, uh, some of the, 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 the importance of the resurrection, some of those kind of things. I do want to take this weekend, though, and, and put, a, put a cap on, on all the stuff that I've been talking about the last couple months. I've really been pushing hard over the last couple months with, the, with some of the subjects and some of the issues of... Um, of uh, immorality and how Satan pushes that into our world and our, and our, and our personal walk and our faith and family and, uh, and, and taking the, the, um, the, uh, the right priorities and all of those kind of things. And so I want to kind of put a, an end cap on this today and, and really look at uh, the, the concept of faith. This is something, I've talked about it a few times in Wednesday nights over the last couple months, and really been, faith has really been, the concept of faith has been on my heart quite a bit. I've been reading a lot about that, and I'm going to go to Hebrews here in a little bit, but, but to, to, to really think about faith and why do we do what we do? What are the, why do we make certain decisions? Why do, we, why do I choose to serve God or not? You know, that's a choice. God doesn't make you. Okay, we don't believe around here in a predestination mentality. Some, some parts of Christianity do, and, and I disagree with them on this, but they believe that uh, it's, you know, it's bound to happen, whatever. Everything is supposed to happen is just going to happen. It's like, you're, it's like you're in a raft in a river and you don't really have any control. And I don't believe that. I believe in free will. I strongly believe in free will. You choose whether you're going to serve Jesus. So the question I would have is why? Why do, why do we choose? Why do the people in the Bible, why do they choose to do the things they do and when and how and what were the motives? And so we've kind of been looking at that some of on Wednesday nights. But to, to really look at faith in a big picture sense today, to say really what is faith? Okay, in, in, in all the stuff that I've been talking about, go back with me again to Genesis. And this, to me, this is why I always go here is because everything, you can get a good picture of everything in Scripture and the why more of everything in Scripture from the first three chapters of Genesis. And so um, Eve, Satan is tempting Eve, and Satan says to Eve that, um, that she should try the fruit because then she will be like God, uh, knowing both good and evil. And I've spent a lot of time over years saying, explaining that really she already had good. The only thing that was going to be added was evil. And that was, that was Satan's big trick in this whole thing. You already have all the good. You're, you're, you're walking and talking with God. You're not adding any more good. You're only adding evil. And that's the part that Eve didn't understand or know. But here's, I think, the biggest reason. And this is the direction I want to push for us with, with everything I've been talking about over the last couple of months. The, 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 what was going on in Eve's mind, I believe, uh, and we see this played out. I think I can prove this from that, and, and I've talked about this before. The the two curses that come to the one to Adam, the one to Eve, and and I don't believe the way the scripture says that God cursed them. Obviously, that's what He did, but I don't think God was trying to curse them. I think what God was saying was 
This is what you brought upon yourself. And I've explained that before. But the curse that Adam gets and the curse that Eve gets is, is a direct uh, outcome of the decisions that they made uh, in the eating of the fruit moment. Okay, And so Eve, t- this is what transpires I believe, in Eve's mind, and then it continues into right now today that, that human beings, that we, are, that we are struggling with this same mentality. When Satan presents us, presents us with an, an opportunity to sin or to be involved in something we shouldn't or to mindset or whatever, I don't think that we have in this, this a cognitive moment, this is what I think we do with Eve. She had a cognitive moment where she knew, mentally knew good, knew evil. I don't think that's what was going on. I think this was a, a, a spiritual thing that now um, good was already, she was good. She was, she had never sinned. She had never, she was part of this perfection mentality. God had created her amazingly um, uh, perfect, her and Adam both. And she, she's reaching out for this fruit, not to have a cognitive understanding of good and evil, but because there was something going on inside of her. It, it, was, it was more of an esoteric thing. That that there that it's it's uh it's non tangible and it's out there and 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 here's what I think was going on with Eve that I think transcends into our existence today. It's not that she was trying to know what good and evil were, or have an understanding of good and evil. It's the fact that once you had that ability, remember they were given authority over the whole planet. That's the way that that her and Adam were thinking about this is I believe that she was looking forward to, and and Adam also, but maybe in a little different way, but was looking to be able to define good and evil, to decide. That's another way to say it. If, If I know all that is good and evil and I am like God, then I get to actually decide what is good and evil, and I get to define what is good and evil, which basically is the whole concept of what humanity is today and why we need the cross, why we need the blood of Jesus Christ, because we're still doing that today. This, this is human nature. This is what the two curses are about. This is human nature. As we take all of the options that are laid out before us, all the things about uh, God, Satan, good, evil, moral, immoral, heaven, hell, all these different things, and we choose what we want to decide about this and what we want to define about this. That's why we can take something that, that, that Scripture could very clearly say is a sin, and we can put that in the category of, well, maybe not now. Or maybe that's um, maybe just then, or maybe it's just for those people, or, or it doesn't really apply today. We're completely different people in culture today, and, and we go through all these things. What we're doing is the same thing that started with Eve is now that we have this knowing kind of mentality, we're trying to decide and define it. The, the, the sad part about this is we don't actually get to define that. No matter how much we want to, we don't get to define what is right and wrong, what is moral, immoral, those kind of things. God does that. God's the one that decides that, and it doesn't, and it doesn't change because we decide something different. This is what I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago about the, the speech that I heard at the University of, of uh, Wisconsin with Ben Shapiro, that he got up, and he's not a Christian man, he's a, he's a Jewish guy, and he gets up and he says there are two genders, there are male and female, and no matter what you think or say or decide about anything else, it doesn't change that fact. That's a fact. It's not changed by decision. It's a fact. It's the same concept as there is something called gravity. That's a fact. 
Even if you decide that you want that to be different, it doesn't change that. It's still a fact. And so this is something that we struggle with as human beings. We're always pushing. We're trying to define this stuff. We're trying to, to redefine it. Always looking. This, this is another thing. is We're always looking for different language. Why do we have to change language over things? This, I'll give you one. I won't pick on all the stuff that's going on in society. I'll use one that's, that's specific to me as a pastor. I went to Denver Seminary. Denver Seminary is not pro-women in ministry. Um, we are pro-women in ministry around here. There's terms for that. The term for, for women um, walking in equality with men when it comes to ministry, or really anything, is called egalitarian. We are egalitarian around here, Okay. Um, I believe God can call women just like he can call men, right? In fact, I believe women hear it quicker, by the way. But, okay, so years ago, the term used to be legalitarian, legalistic, legalitarian. Then, about the time I was going to Denver Seminary, they changed it. The evangelical world changed it, and now we call it complementarian. Why? Why did we change it? Sounds better. That's literally the only reason. It sounds better. That's it. That's the, you know why we change terms in America today? Because we know how it sounds when we speak truth, and we don't always like that, so we just want to change the words. Just make it sound different. It doesn't change anything. It just sounds different. That's, that's what we're doing. Now, here, here's what, with all of this that I've been talking about, a lot of negative stuff. I really do believe our country is going down some very, very horrible, dangerous Roads. And when I say dangerous, I'm saying God's judgment is quick upon us. And I've talked about this over the last couple months. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. When God's judgment is poured out, it is poured out. And Christians, we will get caught up in that judgment. We will. Now, I do believe that God rescues and does things, but you're going to see at the end of this, I believe that we are going to go through some very difficult things. But that doesn't change what faith is, and hopefully we can get to the end of that. So real faith, real faith, I believe, is knowing that God is. Not necessarily what he can do for you, how he can do it for you, any of those kind of things, but knowing that God is, that's the key, knowing that God is. Because if you really know uh, that God is, I believe it sets the stage for everything else. In fact, going to one of these governors that have pushed back and, and changed some of these laws about abortion, one of the governors, I can't remember what state he is from right now, but um, I, I can see his face. I saw the article. He basically says this. They, the media was questioning him. Why are you making this decision? Why are you trying to say that abortion shouldn't happen uh, uh, after heartbeat? And he said, because someday I'm going to stand before God. And then he begins to explain that, and I want to be found uh, uh, fighting for unborn children, those kind of things. But the key part of the phrase is what he started with. Someday I'm going to be standing before God. Guys, you understand all of us will someday be standing before God. Every one of us are going to stand before God. Everything in life is going to be brought to that moment. We're going to stand before God. That's not an if. That's not a play around. That is a big deal. And this governor's got it right. When I stand before God, all of the other stuff of life becomes way secondary, and it becomes unimportant at that point relatively. And he says, when I stand before God, and let me reverse it, I don't want to be one of the governors that was responsible for murdering babies. Because why? You will be accountable for that. 
when he says, and I stand before God. Every one of us, guys, we're going to stand before God. So what is faith? Faith is ultimately that God is, and that determines our decisions. When we really establish in our mind and our spirit that God is, it changes the way we live our life, our, raise our children, have marriage, all this other stuff. It changes all of those things. It changes the way you walk into, or should, all these are should, change the way you walk into work. Because why? Because God is. Because God. Someday I'm going to stand before him. So go with me to Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to go over three uh, different stories in Scripture today, and I'm going to finish them prematurely. I'm going to stop before we get to the end. And there's a reason for this. I I talk about this every now and then. One of the things that I think hinders um, our Christian walk sometimes, and this 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 isn't an overgeneralization, sometimes one of the things that hinders our Christian walk is the fact that we know the end of the story. I grew up listening to, this, to these stories. I know the end of the stories of the Bible. I know how they end up. And then what happens is, is it's two basic things. It's difficult for us to really analyze the details of the story, and it's also difficult for us to analyze the people and what they were going through in the story because we know the end result, right? We know what's going to happen. But, the, but the, these were real people walking through real circumstances, and oftentimes these circumstances, they resonate in our spirit that, that we're going through not exactly, but things that make us feel the same way and that we process mentally and all these things. And so we're going we're gonna to end these stories a little sooner than you normally would today. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar had built a big statue, and he said, everybody's going to bow down. Everybody's gathered around, thousands of people gathered out there, and he says, when you hear the band strike up, bow down. And, uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. Okay, here's where we come in. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Can, can I posit that I think that that could be a spiritual thing that we're watching, a demonic thing that we're watching, an oppression or a possession from Nebuchadnezzar? Why would his face distort? There's a difference between his face got really angry and it distorted. Just throwing that out there. Okay. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. You know why it takes the time to say that? Why why Daniel takes the time to document that? Because those were burnable things. Right? Okay, and because the king... In his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now, there, there is a way that the church has of looking at stories like this that I think are very much to our detriment. I know it was for me growing up and in, even in adulthood until I really started to understand this. Um, I think there's a detriment that happens in our, in our Christian teaching and thinking is that these guys were these super faith guys that never had a doubt about any of this, never asked, second-guessed themselves, never talked to each other about it, that, that there's these thousands, tens of thousands of people, the band strikes up, and all these people immediately hit the ground, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in the middle going, that's right, we will not bow, all of you. I don't, I'd really struggle with that kind of mentality. I, I don't think, and, and part of the reason is I... I just don't really ever come across these kind of people. I don't think they really exist. 
Do we know they didn't bow? Yes, we know that. We know they took a huge step of faith. But I believe they were scared. I believe they were intimidated and scared the entire time. And the whole time they're, they're talking to each of the three. We're not going to bow, right? No, we're not going to bow. Everybody starts bowing. Are you sure we're not going to bow? Because this is kind of our moment right here. Are we, are we not going to bow? And then as people are bowing and looking back up at him saying, you better bow. You think we should bow? <clears throat> That's how I think it went down. I think they were normal, normal people. And they were scared by this. They were intimidated by this. See, part of the reason I say that is the way I grew up in church, everybody was these superhuman, superhero faith people, and they never had a moment of hesitance. They never had a, a, a second thought. They never had any fear, nothing, and that they just brought, uh, boldly charged into whatever was going on. And I realized as, as a young kid and even as a teenager, I could never be that person, so I might as well quit trying. I was never going to be that guy. I second-guess things all the time. I get scared of things. I wonder about things all the time. I, I, I pray often, God, are you sure? Like, like God's going, you know what, let me think about it. Right? God's sure. I'm the one not sure. God, can I run some other things by you just in case? Right? You ever had those things? I, I remember years ago, this was one of these moments for, for Lynn and I, this is kind of, see, see, this is the way I look at the three Hebrew children. What about the, as they were tying them up and as they were dragging them to the furnace? Do you think that they were excited and happy about this? Here's one, and I, we have no way of knowing this for sure, okay? It says that the fire killed all the other guys. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever even feel the increasing heat the closer they got to the furnace? Did they? I, I think they did. I think they felt the heat more and more, and then when they got thrown in, all of a sudden, no heat. But I think they felt the heat. I think all of this kind of stuff, and I think they were scared. They were worried. And here's one of the ways that I know this. There, there's, there's two or three great statements of faith in Scripture that, to me, uh, eclipse all other faith statements in, in Scripture. And the three Hebrew children are one of them. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. That's a statement of faith. See, we are taught in American Christianity, the more we go into our, our arena of Pentecostalism, the more into even the hyper-faith stuff, we are told that if you ever say or think one word that has any doubt to it whatsoever, the whole house of cards comes crashing down and God will not do anything in your life. That's not biblical. These guys were real people and they were struggling. And these three guys, they, they say, we know God's going to deliver us. But if he doesn't, you know, just in case, I want you to know, I'm not, this, is the, this is the key to me for faith. This is the key. I am not not bowing because God's going to deliver me. I'm not bowing because he's God. And I think he's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing because he is God. Sometimes our faith, it's about, God, I need you to do this. I need you to take care of this uh, financial need. I need you to take care of this um, uh, re relational need. I need you to do this. And, and then our faith, we're all in faith. I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm trusting. But then if God doesn't do it or doesn't do it like we think he should have, our faith was hinged actually upon whether he did it. Not who he is, but whether he did that. And then we get upset at God, and we're frustrated because God didn't do that. 
Is, is God dependent upon that? I, I've talked about this before. I had a little Jeep pickup years ago, and I, uh, I, I broke my air conditioner compressor in the middle of July. I was so broke. I couldn't pay for anything. I couldn't do anything. And like my only, I didn't have air conditioning in the house. I didn't have, I was a pastor of a church, I didn't have air conditioning in the church. The only place I had air conditioning was in my Jeep truck. And I busted it. And I was like, no, you know, that kind of thing. God, you have forsaken me. It sounds silly now, but I can tell you at that, at that moment, it's like my world was over. God, why do you hate me so bad? Because I was defining it without air conditioning, God, you must hate me. So what about the people, I don't know, about 6,000 years before me, right? God, you must We do this. So the example I was about to give, Lynn and I were driving. Uh, this is before Emily was born. The boys were little, and we were driving to uh, an interview to talk to a church. And we were in, a, um, in our van, and uh, we'd, been, we'd been convinced to buy this van. It was a piece of junk from day one. But, but uh, we're driving this van. And um, we're, we're in Dallas, and we're driving over a, a very large uh, bridge, not a bridge, but an overpass. And, and it was one of those that kind of comes all the way around. It sweeps over like 20 other highways for, for four miles kind of thing, just sweeping like crazy. And it was single lane, concrete on each side, single lane, going up, going up, and then it would curve, and then it would come back down around like that. And we're driving along this, and we're already frustrated. We don't know for sure what God's telling us to do. We don't have any money. Our boys are little bitty babies at that time, and, and uh, we're, we're already at, at the edge, right? Uh, relationally, uh, financially, spiritually, we're at the edge. And as we're climbing this big old thing, and this is right in the middle of uh, rush hour in Dallas, which means about 40 bazillion cars right here. And we're going up over this, and, our, and the, um, the um, uh, fuel pump went out. Single lane, hundreds, hundreds of cars behind us. Single lane, our van just starts slowing down, coming to a stop. I am so done. I'm upset. I start praying, and then I get mad, and I'm yelling at God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? We serve you. We, we pray. We do all this. The reason that this was brought to my mind is because a couple weeks ago, my oldest son was having the same issue. His car broke down. And he calls me, Dad, I'm doing everything God's telling us to do. We're doing this. We're doing, and I can't, I can't afford a new car. And all of a sudden, we're talking. To him, you know, I'll, we'll give you my Jeep. We'll do whatever. It doesn't have a transmission, but whatever. So, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll help you. I mean, we're talking through this, and he's frustrated, and he's upset. And I finally said, you know, Jonathan, we've been here. I've been here more times than I can tell you. I've been right where you're at. This is where faith kicks in. Not because things are going right, but because they're not. And that's when you have to trust God. How difficult is it to trust God when everything's good? In fact, most Christians kind of go on little God vacations during those times. We don't pray as much. We don't see God as much. We don't go to church as much. We don't, but when things get difficult, boy, we're right in there, which, is, which I'm not being critical of that. I'm just saying that's reality. It's when things are good, how much faith do you have to have? So we're talking about it, and, and Linda and I, Linda's upset, she's crying, I'm, I'm upset, I'm ups first I'm mad at God, then I'm asking to forgive me, and I'm crying, and all this kind of stuff, and like 10 minutes we sit there. There was not one person behind us that was pleased, not one. We could hear all these different horns and uh, people's voices of all different tenors, 
all through the line saying all kinds of things. I had some words I didn't know, never heard before. Nobody was happy. Lynn and I, we're, and finally we just stopped and I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm mad at you and you're the only one that really truly is there for me under all circumstances. Lynn and I finally calmed down and, and began to ask God to forgive us. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden the van just started. I didn't start it. It just started and we just started driving. I didn't, I didn't get out and open the hood. I didn't kick a tire. I didn't, we're just sitting there and we're praying to God. All of a sudden the van just starts going. I, we just go. Go right to a, um, a um, place to get the car fixed. And here's the cool thing. Some of you may know this name. Some of you may not. Pull into this garage and I'm sitting there and it's owned by a guy. I didn't know he owned about 10 of these. I'm sitting there and he comes walking in. I'm like, are you Big John Hall? You guys know who Big John Hall is? Anybody know who, that name? Big John Hall was one of the predominant singers for Billy Graham for years. Big old bass voice. Well, he graduated from my alma mater. Just talked to him this last year. We're buds now, so, you know. No, actually, he doesn't know who I am. But I did say hi. Every year, I'm like... Um, <clears throat> so either way, go in and, and they, he gives us a big discount. We get the thing fixed. Guys, here's the question I want to ask. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt as they were being drugged to the furnace? See, I, I know that different ones of us in here were going through things that are like that. It's the dragging to the furnace mentality. It's those, those are the times when that's where the faith is. We, we always focus on the end because God delivers, and that's supposed to strengthen our faith, and I get that it does. But guys, it's, it, the faith is knowing that God is no matter what. He is. Even on the way to the furnace, he is. Daniel <clears throat> chapter 6. Um. But when Daniel had learned that the law had been signed, and the law was basically anybody that prays to, to anyone, but uh, the king will be killed, okay? So um, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. I heard a sermon years ago when I was a kid about this. It stuck in my head, and, um, and it took me a long time to realize that it was wrong. It was more of a militant mentality that I think it doesn't have a place in this story. But, the, but basically the point of the message was the reason that Daniel opened his windows and prayed three times a day is so that all the people out there would know that he served God and that he prayed to God. You know, like be militant, push it into their world kind of thing. Um, this is the same concept for me about getting signs and putting pictures of dead babies on them and walking up and down the streets. We're going to push this into their world and into their mind. I don't, I, don't, this is, I don't have any way to prove this, but I don't think picket signs with pictures of dead babies has ever turned one person's heart against abortion. I just don't think it does. Now, if you say, well, I think there's a place for that, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with that. The church looks at things differently, go do it. I won't ever be a part of something like that. Although I'm very much anti-abortion, and I want to fight that. But I think you do it in the hearts and minds of people, and I think you do it through prayer and through loving people, not through... Pictures of dead babies, okay? And, and I'm very open to, I could be wrong about that, okay? But I don't think Daniel was being militant about this. I don't think Daniel opened his window whatsoever because of somebody else. I don't think he prayed three times a day because of somebody else. I don't think he was trying to push this into anybody's world. It had nothing to do with that. In fact, here's one of the proofs for me is when the, the, the guy that was in charge of the food and everything for Daniel and the three Hebrew guys, 
They, when they came to him and said, we want you to do this work, Daniel is the one that said, if you'll just feed us uh, vegetables, he didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't go to the king. He didn't tell anybody else. He just talked to the guy in charge of the food. Hey, can you just maybe slide us some more vegetables because we're not going to eat all the rich foods and all the other stuff. He didn't make a big deal. He wasn't trying to be militant. He was saying, I do this because of why? I know that God is. And because God is, it makes me make certain decisions differently. I know that God is. Now, you guys know this. I say too much up here. I'm a strong conservative. I'm a strong capitalist. I believe strongly in these ideas. And I'll tell you something. Dan and I were talking about this the other day. One of the things that I have learned over the years is that being a, a, uh, a strong capitalist doesn't always fit when you get into Scripture. We're supposed to be doing a lot of taking care of other people, and that's not necessarily the root foundation of capitalism. It's not anti-capitalism. I am a capitalist that, that will take care of other people with what I get, right? But you got to be careful because when you just say, well, this is who I am, this is how I look alive, this is a, okay, but there are certain mentalities and mindsets that can come change that. And I think sometimes the church pushes too much of a militant mentality that we push. And this is not what Daniel's doing. He's not praying because he wants other people to know he's praying. Jesus himself said this. He said some people go stand on the street corners and make a big deal about their prayers. Some people fast by putting all the sackcloths and ashes and all this other stuff so that they make a big deal about their fasting. And what he's saying is they're, they're not accomplishing anything when you do that because it's just about them. The reason Daniel prayed three times a day is because he loved God. Man, he loved God, and he just wanted to be close to God. He wanted to be everything he wanted him to be and use him, and all this other kind of stuff. They were using that against him, but he wasn't being militant about it. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Do you, you realize that means they were, they were sneaking outside his room, listening to him pray? How mature is that? So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. I, I like the way they say that, that man Daniel. Like he didn't know who Daniel was. The reason Daniel had risen so much high into leadership, and you realize that he was much, much higher in leadership than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'd raised very high in leadership, to the point where he was basically running the whole country after a while. The king's the one who brought him up. The king knew exactly who he was. He liked Daniel a lot, but these guys wanted to play the king. They were still like, you know what? There's this guy. You may, may not know him. His name is Daniel. They were jealous of him because he had risen so much. The king knew exactly who he was. He was very favored by the king. Well, this fellow Daniel, he still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. He wasn't angry. Why? He really liked Daniel, and he liked Daniel's relationship with his God. The king didn't serve God, but Daniel did, and, and the king respected that and understood that. We're seeing a whole different dynamic with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders to Daniel 
for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve, so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And that's where we stop with this story. So here's some questions. What did it feel like to Daniel as he was being taken to the lion's den? Now, some people may think, well, Daniel knew. Daniel knew he was not going to get eaten by lions. Did he? Did God tell him that? It doesn't say anywhere that God told him that. And usually when we see a story in Scripture, it tells them God said this to them. Did God tell Daniel you're not going to get eaten by lions? I don't think so. What about when he's ro- they throw him in there and he's rolling across the sand, looks up and there's lions all over the place? I literally saw a picture when I was a kid in children's church of Daniel and the lion's den. The lions are all sitting around and Daniel's kicked back like a lazy boy against one of the lions. Really? Do you really think <clears throat> that's how this went down? Daniel walks in there and goes, hey, lions, I know you're not going to eat me. How about let's play fetch? We've got this idea sometimes of these superhuman, super faith people that, that they never wavered. There was no doubt whatsoever. And again, I, I can never be that person. So when I would hear stories like this out of the Bible and, and everybody's putting their spin to it, it was basically out of reach for me. I believe Daniel was scared as he was being uh, thrown into the den. And it doesn't say, it says that um, God closed the mouth of the lions, but it doesn't say they didn't make noise. doesn't say they didn't come up and sniff him. doesn't say that they didn't want to eat him. And think about this, if you're a lion and you really see some really edible human, and you really want to eat this human, but God won't let your mouth open, don't you think you get a little upset? Do you think that comes out? I, I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm serious, really. This, this is the picture in my head. I think when Daniel g- gets up there, I think he backs off to the side and he's like, okay, how is this going to go down? Because I think Daniel thought he was going to get eaten. How long did it take for him to be there before he realized they weren't going to eat him? <clears throat> Thought about that? Now maybe, maybe he's just different than almost every human I've ever met, and he walks in there going, nah, that's right, lions, I'm here. I'm Daniel. But I don't think so. I think he was scared. I think these are nerve-wracking moments. Maybe after a few hours, he thinks, maybe these guys aren't going to eat me. God, are you doing something here? So he kind of kicks back, starts to go to sleep, and goes, you know what? I think, I don't think I'm going to get eaten. And then one of the lions goes, <clears throat> I'm awake. I'm paying attention. Right? I, just, I, just, I just think deeply that, that part of our concept of faith, if we're not careful, we hinder it by, by building these not real ideas. My faith includes a lot of insecurity. It includes a lot of fear sometimes. Now, sometimes, man, I'm on top of it. I know that I know that I know. And I've had some of those moments in my life, and, it's, and they're very rare, at least for me, they're very rare, and they're very defining for the next time. I can do this. I can do this. And I strive toward those moments. But I know for me, most of the time, it's scary stuff. It's intimidating. It's, it's, um, I get upset at God. I get, I get hurt by God, all these different things. Let me go to another story. Acts chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 8. Stephen. Now, who was Stephen? Just a guy. Just a guy in the church. They'd got together just right before this, 
And they said, hey, we need some people to take care of some stuff because the apostles, we need to be teaching, preaching. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we need to get some guys to take care of the stuff, the stuff that happens. Um, uh, feeding people, taking care of the widows and orphans. The way they said it was waiting tables, that kind of thing. So we need people to take care of logistics. So they get around, they talk about this, and they vote some guys in. They do it with like a, what they call casting of lots, um, drawing straws or throwing dice, basically, come up with. But they do that, and Stephen's one of these guys. <clears throat> He's just a guy. Now, why is this important? I think this is very important. He's just a guy. He's not one of the apostles. He's just a guy in the church. He's not one of the super people, say, like me, that is a professional at this. His prayers aren't going to be near as powerful as mine. His insight and wisdom isn't going to be near as powerful as mine, because I'm a pastor. This is what I do. I'm, I'm better than everybody else, which is you. Better. Isn't that the way we look at it in the church? Isn't that the way we look at it? I'm the, I'm the personality. Here's something. I've talked about this before, but this is a big deal for me theologically, okay? And practically, but, but theologically, this is a big deal. When we have our prayer partners up here, if you notice, I don't pray with the prayer partners. I, that's intentional. Because I've had people say, well, wouldn't it have more impact if you were praying? Why? That's, that's a big question for me. Why? Because I don't believe that it would. Why? You see, when I was growing up, the pastor had to be the one to pray for you. Or if you had a special speaker evangelist, the evangelist had to be the one to pray for you. If he didn't pray for you, you weren't going to get whatever you were praying for, the miracle or whatever. So we'd have these long prayer lines so that the, the, the special person, the truly special anointed person could pray for you. Except that is not biblical. That is not biblical. We are the body of Christ. We should be praying for people. You should expect the Holy Spirit to anoint you anytime you pray for anybody under any circumstance. That's why our prayer partners, I don't pray with them. They, that, I don't want people to think that there's something special about my prayer. Like I got a bat phone to God, and I'm the only one that can get there, or definitely way quicker, right? God's going to listen to me more or whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. I have had conversations with God over the years that go something like this. God, I'm a pastor. I've given everything to you. Can't you do this for me? That's, that's, a, that's a pretty cheap shot toward God. That I've given everything to God? I, I will never be able to give even a tiny .00% of what God has given to me. God... God is, is so much bigger than us guys, so much bigger, and he does so much. But here's the thing. God wants you to be praying for people. He, he expects you to be a Stephen. Now here, this ordinary guy in the church, just a dude in the church, this is the next part of the sentence. A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. That should get in our spirit all day long. What's the difference between Stephen and any one of us in here? Nothing. Well, I would say one thing, just surrender. Just being there. God, you do what you want. God, it's not about me, it's about you. So Stephen, this ordinary guy full of God's power, one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. 
They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, in the province of Asia. They were the church leaders. The church leaders were having a hard time with this guy uh, that was just a normal guy. He hadn't been trained, hadn't been taught, all this other kind of stuff. I run across this every now and then. Now, you guys know me well enough to know it's not how I think at all. But I do run across this sometimes in, in church circles and things like that. That, well, yeah, but we're the, we're the pastors. We're the ones. We're the, I just, it doesn't, that doesn't carry much water with me. I don't, I, I think that you are just as anointed as I am. Or let me say that differently. You can be just as anointed as God wants you to be, just like I can be. Okay? It's all about choice and surrender to God. Are we going to chase after him more than anything? Is our faith built in him, not all the stuff? Is it in him? So Stephen, he's attacked by these guys. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. He wasn't trained. They were, but he had it figured out. He was being guided by the Holy Spirit. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. So anybody in here ever been lied about? Just me? I'm the only one? Okay. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will, Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the custom Moses handed down to us. He never said that, and that didn't ever happen. Jesus didn't destroy the temple. Was the temple destroyed? Yeah. Jesus didn't do it. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Now, I've said this about a few different places in Scripture where things like this happen. And it did, this is one of those bizarre moments when, to me, if I'm on that side, if I'm standing there like, Stephen, bad, Stephen, bad, well, that's good, you know, that kind of thing. And then his face starts going, I'm like, mm, Stephen, not so bad. Right? Don't you at least pause a little bit? The dude's face is going, don't you back up a little bit? You know what? I'm going to set this one out. You guys run with it. And it's the same way I've talked about this with the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus comes riding out of the clouds on a horse, eyes glowing and everything else, and somehow the people down there fighting him is like, we got this. He's riding out of the clouds on a horse, and they think they can beat him. It's amazing how easily we can make such dumb decisions, but they're always based upon, I am defining what is right and wrong. I am defining all the stuff. Not, not God, not his word, but I'm going to define. Let's go all the way down to verse 54 of chapter 7. <clears throat> it says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. So what happens between the time his face starts going until now? He preaches the most thorough sermon that we see in Scripture from Genesis to this moment. Okay? He goes through all the different things. He's talking about this prophet was killed, this prophet was killed, and all this stuff. And basically gets to the end of it to equate Jesus and tag it all together. And he says, now Jesus, the final prophet, was also God in human flesh. He wasn't just a prophet. And he is our salvation. And you killed him. And this made him mad. Well, when you get accused of killing God, it can make you mad. So they get infuriated and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, like mature adults do. Can, can you imagine this? These are grown men, 
And they're putting their hands on this. This reminds me. Lynn, I, I read this scripture a couple years ago. Lynn reminded me of this, I'll tell you. She's, in, she's on her way back from Utah. She was at a conference this weekend. And, but uh, we've been married about a year, maybe a year and a half, right in that time frame. We got in this argument. And, uh, and, and so we were going to handle this as adults. We had been seeing this happen. Our pastor had been preaching about it. So we were going to handle this as adults. So basically, I was going to state my side. She's going to state her side, and then we're going to discuss it. We're going we're to truly communicate. And we had never tried that before. And so we thought we'd try this. It's just, so I said, okay, and I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about this. And she said, okay, I'll listen. So, but you've got to listen. You can't say anything. can't argue until I'm done. Okay. So I give my whole uh, spiel. And then she says, okay, it's my turn. Now you be quiet, and I'm going to say my side. And I said, ah, I have to listen to you, and I took off running. <clears throat> now, while that wasn't the most mature moment of my existence, uh, it kind of resonates with me, this, this whole thing. Why? Because I didn't want to hear what she had to say. That was the simplest thing. I just didn't want to hear what she had to say. I had already made up my mind. I knew what was right. She, it didn't matter what she was saying. I already knew. I knew everything I needed to know. It was my side. Right? Anybody else ever been there? You know what you, you know what you believe? It doesn't matter what anything else. It, I know. I know. See, guys, going back to Eve, it's amazing how really our desire is not just to know good and evil. In fact, it's really not. It's to define it. I want to define. I want to say what's right and wrong. I want to say. Not what God's word says, but I want to say. And this is what they literally cover their ears. And they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, here is something that I have, I have heard out of people's mouths. That Stephen, a man of faith, God was doing miracles, all this other kind of stuff. Because of the anointing on his life, he did not feel the stone. I don't believe that for nothing. There's no way. Where are you getting that from? You're not getting it from Bible. In fact, it says that at one point he falls to his knees. Why would he fall to his knees unless this is really not going well for him? He's feeling every single one of these stones. They're cutting him. They're bruising him. They're, they're, they're hitting him all over tender areas of his body, his face, his eyes, and, and eventually kills him. Now, why am I including this in the story? Because that doesn't seem very encouraging. Because here's the, here's the end of the story for the three Hebrew children. They get carried to the flame, they get thrown into the furnace, and Jesus ends up standing there with them in the furnace. But it's not until they got into the furnace that Jesus was standing with them. I think that's huge. Okay? Um, Daniel, the mouths, lions are closed. They don't eat him. But he didn't know that beforehand. And here's the coolest thing, I think, for Stephen. Stephen ends up dying. Jesus does not rescue him. That goes against some of the more faith-based mentalities of Christianity in America. Stephen got killed because of this. God did not rescue him. Now, I think there are certain things in Scripture that are absolutes that God tells us. When you follow him, these things will happen all the time. These are part of it. Psalms 103 says that the benefits of serving God are he will forgive every sin. Not some. Every sin. He heals every disease. Not some. Some are not too big for him. 
forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases. He promises us that when you tithe, that you will never be begging for bread. He will take care of you financially. And there are certain promises that happen there that, that will always happen under all circumstances. Okay? There, are, there are those things in Scripture that are, that are undeniably constants. But being delivered from everything that comes to you is not a constant. And this is the part where I, 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 I know it in my head, but I still struggle when I get to these moments. But being delivered in every moment is not a constant. How do we know that? Jesus says to the disciples, the very last moments that he's with them, he says, when you brought before kings and governors and all that other stuff, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. It doesn't say you'll be delivered. But he'll give you the words to say. You'll be taken to prison and, and, and uh, persecuted and even killed for my name. That's what Jesus says. Deliverance is not always, it's, it's not one of the constants. We think it is, but it's not. But here's the cool thing. You've heard me say this before. I think this is an amazing part of the, the, the Scripture in general, but amazing part of the story. Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's his place for eternity. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. But when Stephen looks into the clouds and sees Jesus, he's standing. And I believe the, the point of that is, is that Jesus stands in honor for Stephen. Stephen, you're about to die, but I'm standing right here with you. You're not doing this alone. I stand with you on this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance of things we cannot see. All of these people, down in verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. How about verse 15 as a descriptor to really convict us as Americans? It, how, how much are we really about our lifestyle more than where we belong, which is eternity with Jesus? And we will fight for our lifestyle more than we fight for Jesus. We'll fight for our comfort more than we'll fight for Jesus. Or our finances or something else more than we fight for Jesus. Because we're not thinking of where, we're, where we belong, which is with Jesus, that that's where we've come from. We're foreigners here. We think about this is our existence. This is one of the things that I think make missionaries pretty cool people is they leave stuff to go to places that don't have that stuff. And they choose to do that. And I get upset when my air conditioning goes out. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Down in verse 33, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Someone about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. How cool a statement is that? They were too good for this world. Does that describe us? Or we're too much a part of the world? Too good for this world. 
Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> How do we believe like this? I think three things. The first thing is we've got to be full of God's Word. As faith comes from God's Word, it comes from the, 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 the realities and the truth that is God. Be full of God's Word. Get in God's Word all the time. Get in God's Word. The second thing is be full of the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit get in your mind. Roll through you. Change you. Do stuff. Pray in the Spirit regularly. I think that's an important thing. Be full of God's Spirit. And then the third one is be empty of yourself. Less of you, more of Him. That I may decrease so that He may increase. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come up here and we're going to we're going to finish by praying for just anything, really. Um, this is a faith moment, so praying at the end to me kind of makes sense. Uh, let's pray about the things that we need to be praying about and to be trusting and believing. God, you are big enough to handle this. You can do, you can do this, you can do all these kind of things. But remember, at the end of the day, faith is trusting that God is. Everything else should come after that. God is, so that means he can do because he is. All right, so bow your heads with me. God, we ask you to open our hearts, our spirits right now. Lord, that we need you more than anything. That we need your grace, your mercy. That we need forgiveness. That we need a relationship. That we need you to do miracles. We need all this stuff. God, more important than anything else, we need you. We need you. Keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this question. If you need Jesus in charge of you, that's where it has to start. This is not a, just about knowing that he is there, but knowing that he is which means he is God. Jesus is Savior. He's God. You say, I need Jesus to be in charge of me. Savior over my life. We're going to start with that. We're going to pray right, right where you're standing. We're just going to pray together. But if you say, that's me, I need Jesus. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, a few different hands. All right, so... So for you that raise your hand, just here's what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of me. So every one of us in here, we're going to pray this together. And do the best you can. Get this into your mind and your spirit. But you can repeat this prayer with me. And, uh, and we're going to ask God to be in charge of us. Let's pray together. Lord God, I need you. As God over my life, as my Lord and Savior, I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done. It's not pleasing to you. I want to spend the rest of my life serving you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for loving us and making us right with God. Lord, I really do believe it is that simple if we're serious with you. So Lord, help us to be serious about this that you're God. Lord, I pray for all the needs that are about to be prayed for. God, that you just do stuff. Just, just do big stuff. God, you're an amazing God. Just show off. Show us how big you are and do things. And God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to open it up to you. Find one of the prayer partners. Pray about whatever, whatever's happening in your life. If you just gave your heart to the Lord, maybe come down and pray with them about that. Um, but really, and we've got prayer partners at the back too, but uh, just really before you leave, even if, it, even if you just sit down at your seat and just talk to God a little bit, don't leave without talking to him. Have one of the prayer partners pray with you and we will see you have a great rest of your afternoon.